Okay, so I started playing the violin when I was about seven years old. And around the same time, um, one of our teachers asked us to go back home as a homework task and make a musical instrument. And naturally, I thought, oh, okay, rubber band. Well, surely the violin is just an elaborate rubber band bolted onto some wood. So here I've brought a replica of my childhood uh, creation. And have a little listen. Okay. And compare it to this. They sound rather different. <laughs> but I'd go further. I'd go as far to say that one sounds more beautiful than the other. And beauty may be a subjective matter, but tonight I want to use physics to help us understand and even quantify just what makes this violin sound so unique and beautiful. So the violin is, well, it's a string which is fixed uh, here at the bridge and at the end at the fingerboard. And what that sets up when I pluck it, say, is a standing wave. And now the wave there along the string is vibrating hundreds of times a second, and it's quite small. So I'm going to use a shoelace here instead to demonstrate what's going on. So you can see it's oscillating up and down uh, a certain number of times a second. I'm going to call that the frequency. Now I can do something quite interesting. If I double the frequency, like that, you can see that I get two of what I originally had oscillating in the same space. So when I double the frequency, the wave length halved. Hold that thought. I can continue doing that. I can triple the frequency and the wavelength will go down by three. Um, and I can continue that on and on. But notice it's involving integers. And integers, uh, integer multiples of that fundamental wavelength, the fundamental frequency is number one. This forms what I call the harmonics of the string. And the harmonics are what form the basis of consonants. Now, consonants in music, um, what that means is when two notes play together uh, and their frequencies form a ratio uh, made from these simple integer ratios, the sound will be pleasing to our ears. So I can demonstrate that. I can play, say, a note which is vibrating at 196 times a second, this one here. I can play a note which is vibrating double that. I can play them together. They sound pretty good. I mean, that's the octave interval. I can repeat this with two frequencies of ratio two to three. That's the fifth. I can do it for three to four as well. This will make the fourth. And similarly for four to five, the major third I'll get. Now, if I play them in succession, these notes, this is what it will sound like. Sounds pretty nice. I mean, it's the beginning of music, but specifically consonant music, music that's pleasing to the ear. Now, to really um, emphasize the point, what I can do is I can play a notoriously dissonant sound in music, the tritone. not exactly the most pleasant of sounds. And if we actually investigate the ratio of the frequencies, 
it turns out to be a bit more of a complicated um, ratio of integers, 30 to 45. Now, what I did with the shoelace and what this picture seems to be suggesting is that I could potentially do all that, what I played, on one string. And indeed, I can. If I, say, touch my finger at one of these uh, points where the string isn't vibrating, one of the nodes, I should be able to get uh, what we've just uh, played here on one string. So let me demonstrate that. OK, maybe not quite as easy as I thought it would be. Um, but it is, in theory, possible. And when I actually play a note on the string here, um, as it turns out, I'm not actually hearing just one of these harmonics. I'm hearing many of them, even all of them, added together, what I call superposition. And so if, we, um, if I pluck that string from the middle there, um, and I start off with, they say, this triangular shape, the big idea here is that the harmonics required to construct this triangle by adding them together in a certain way are precisely those harmonics that are excited when I pluck the string from the middle. And so by looking at um, the general shape of these harmonics, I begin to see that I'm probably going to want a bit of number one. I mean, number one is beginning to look a bit like the triangle. I don't want any of number two or number four, because look, they're asymmetric. I, if I added that to number one, it would pull it up on one side, pull it down on the other. I want a bit of number three, as it turns out. But I have to flip it upside down, actually. So you can see here that if I add a little bit of number three, uh, the middle will actually add up, and it will eventually make the spiky bit of the triangle. And I can do this, and it turns out that I actually own the odd harmonics here. And I can do a similar exercise by plucking the string from the side as well. And I can start off with, say, this sawtooth-like shape. And it turns out that I will actually want all of the harmonics. I mean, you can see that I want number two and four, because it will bring up um, the wave on the left-hand side. Now, we can actually hear the slight differences. Um, if I plug it in the middle, we get a softer percussive thud compared to when I plug it from the side, and we get a bit more of a metallic, a brighter sound. So let's try and hear that. So it's subtle, but it's noticeable. And the way we can examine this is by a technique uh, developed by Fourier in the uh, 18th century, which is called Fourier analysis. So if I pluck the string from the middle, it turns out that it's dominated by the first harmonic there. And this is what is characteristic of the percussive thud that we heard. In contrast, the um, sawtooth-like shape has a lot more of those higher harmonics, and hence we get a much brighter, a much more crisper metallic sound. And this is the next big idea. Using Fourier analysis, we can examine this harmonic spectrum, how, me how, many, how much of each of the harmonics we want to add in order to uh, see um, what is creating that sound that we're hearing. And this governs what musicians like to call the timbre of the sound, the character, the sound quality and tone that we hear. But crucially, it's the idea that the higher harmonics are the ones that give the prominent and brightest sounds that we saw so much of on that sawtooth graph. 
So it seems like we want to excite more of these higher harmonics in order to be able to uh, create this richer sound. And this is when we turn to something called resonance. So what is this resonance that I'm talking about? Well, I'm going to use this bow here to demonstrate. This bow here, if I start shaking my hand quite quickly, you can see the bow doesn't really um, do very much. I mean, I'm trying to get it to swing. If I shake it very slowly, you can see I'm dragging the bow with me, but it's not swinging. But somewhere in between, at some correct frequency, you can see I'm not moving my hand very much, but the bow swinging quite a lot. And that's the crucial idea with resonance. It's this efficient transfer of energy from my hand not moving very much to a much bigger uh, swinging motion down here. And this is precisely what's happening in, uh, in the design of the violin. The violin, it's made up of the string. And when I play the string, it starts vibrating. And it transfers those vibrations via this bridge here and into the sound box. The sound box starts vibrating as well. It starts resonating at certain frequencies that it likes to uh, vibrate at. And that even causes the air inside that box to vibrate. Now, this uh, Helmholtz air cavity resonance that the air is undergoing is similar to the effect, um, well, it's actually the same effect, as when I blow across the top of a bottle. And you can hear how, just how loud that is. And it's because it's displacing a much larger volume of air than, say, just one string could do on its own. Not very loud. Now, crucially, let's remind ourselves, it's the higher harmonics that we want to accentuate, we want much more of. So it turns out that the bridge actually responds very strongly to these higher harmonics that the ear likes to pick up. And this transfers into the complex response of the body. The body doesn't um, resonate at just one frequency like my bow did when it was trying to swing. It resonates across a much wider range of frequencies. And it's a testament to the craftsmanship and the choice of the wood that results in this complex response. And together, all these effects are what gives us the final um, harmonic spectrum here at the bottom. And you can see much more of those higher harmonics than what we started off with when, uh, uh, when we plucked it from the side or played it from the side. And remarkably, this much more complex waveform that we see here outputted by the violin is what the brain interprets as this beautiful sound that we hear. So what can we take away from all this? Well, at the beginning, we saw how, when I was trying to um, excite some harmonics on my shoelace, this gives rise to a discrete uh, spectrum of frequencies. The shoelace can only vibrate in a certain number of modes. There are integer multiples of the fundamentals. This gives rise to harmonics, which is, forms the basis of consonants. We saw how, using Fourier analysis, we can examine the spectrum of how much of each of the harmonics we want, um, which gives us uh, an idea of what the timbre is um, associated with the sound that we're hearing. And finally, we exploited resonance to accentuate those higher harmonics that we want so much more of, um, which defines the richness of this violin sound. And so putting all these ideas together, this is how we use physics to help us understand just what makes this violin sound so beautiful. Thank you for listening.